Welcome to the neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey, husband, father, and host of the Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by the neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. What's up, neighbors? Today is a special day in the neighborhood because we have with us an amazing visitor. Her name is Rachel Hannibal, and she is an Amazon best-selling author of the interactive children's book, Amber's Magical Savings Box. But Rachel didn't start her life as an author. She actually overcame some financial difficulties early in her life, like finding herself in $60,000 worth of debt shortly after college, and then finding a way to pay all of that debt off. So I am over the moon excited to have Rachel stop by the neighborhood to share her just inspiring personal journey with you. So Rachel, I mean, you are an Amazon bestselling author of a children's book about money. So naturally, I have to ask, what kind of financial example did you have in your household when you were growing up? Oh, well, like most households, we didn't really talk about money. Well, at least my parents didn't have those conversations with me directly. But I do remember my older brother used to cash his checks and bring all the cash home to me. And he would make a list of all the things he had to buy and everything he needed to pay. And he would say, let me know how much I have left after I'm done all this. <laughs> he would like, I'm going to the store. And by the time I get back, you should not, you should be able to tell me how much money I have left to spend. So that was a fun exercise that him and I used to do pretty often that, that helped me understand the value of money and managing it and all that stuff. Awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, was money something that was talked about a lot in your household growing up? Not to me directly, but just kind of like around. I, I grew up in a single parent household, so we had a lot of financial struggles going on there. So there were a lot of apparent financial struggles. So that was just about the most of it for the most part, like just knowing that we were really struggling financially and hoping things would get better. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because, you know, I I hear you say financial struggles and I came from a single parent household, too, and I dealt with a lot of struggles myself. And so I'm just kind of curious, how did that shape you into the person you are today? I mean, because now I see you're doing workshops and you're coaching and you're writing books about money and all those things. And so to come from that setting and that environment, what kind of impact did that have on you getting to where you are now? I um I just remember thinking when I was younger and and walking through my neighborhood and experiencing certain things thinking to myself that there has to be more and that being a constant something that would, would I would dream of like what is the more and how can we get to the more the better and and just as I began to get older I started creating a plan of okay, I'm going to work here and I'm going to save and I'm going to do this. And um, the more I mature, the more I understood about money, the better my plan became. But um, I guess it just started with that seed of just thinking one day, man, there has to be there has to be more to this. And that kind of grew into my whole journey towards just financial freedom and just digging myself out of a hole and, 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 and now wanting to educate other people so they can do the same thing, you know, finding out what that more is, you know? Right. Absolutely. I can 1000% relate to that. I mean, that is like, that's so in line with my experience, just growing up, not, not even being able to define what that more was, but just looking around going, 
yeah, this ain't it. This is not, this is not for me. This is not permanent. I'm going to get out of here one way or another. And so I, I do know that kind of along your journey, you found yourself in debt chasing after that more. So do you recall kind of what that first interaction with debt was and how much debt you ended up with total? Uh, so like many people, my first interaction with debt is student loans. For for a lot of us, our, our first real loan is student loans. So I was like, this is crazy. You know, I started to really do the math on how much I want to pay back and how long it would have to take and all that stuff. So that was my first um, interaction with debt. But I paid off over $60,000 worth of debt and had been debt free for a few years before I purchased my home. So I like that's paying off everything, everything, car, student loans, all that stuff, credit cards. So I know for me, I kind of got caught up in that. I didn't have student loans, but I had cars and credit cards to the tune of $60,000, $61,000 myself. Was there a moment for you that just kind of triggered everything? Like, again, wait, I'm in pursuit of this more, but this ain't it either. You know what? I remember my coworkers having a conversation just about debt and and specifically student loan debt that you know, everyone has it. Oh, you're going to die with it. It's just how it is. You're just going to die paying it off. And I, I just stood up and was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be dying to pay student loans. And like, I'm not going to do that. And so from then I went home and, and started creating a plan and started really thinking about how I can do this, how I can be different from, from everyone else who is just comfortable with just that just this is just what everyone else has like as they my coworkers were saying um I wanted to be different I wanted to see if it was possible to live that free life and so my journey began there How long did it take you I mean you said you had 60 over $60,000 in debt about how long did that take to pay off About 3 and a half 4 years but that was also along with me saving up a year's worth of my income in cash so there was, I was kind of doing both at the same time. I, it started off by just being an emergency fund. And then it kind of became a challenge for myself to see how much I could actually save after paying everything off. And so about three and a half, four years it took. Yep. I mean, did you have kind of a system that you followed that helped you guide like, okay, I'm going to save this much and I'm going to pay this much in debt off. I'm just curious. What was your thought process at that time? I started by calculating how much interest was being added onto my student loan debt every day. I'm not quite sure what made me. I was just curious, like how much if I break it down per day, how much interest they're adding on? It was a dollar twenty five. And that really bothered me because I was like 10 years every day, a dollar twenty five. That's I don't even want to pay them what I owe. And for them to be at that every day, I was like, I don't, that's, I don't want to do that. And so I just kind of got all my debt totals all together, just regular old pen and paper. I, I didn't use that. And I just created a plan of, of started applying for little side gigs here and there of just how I was going to save this emergency fund, but also pay extra on my debt to get rid of it. You brought up a side gig. I mean, what were some of those side gigs? Let our audience know what you were doing during that time to make some <laughs> extra cash. Oh, man, I feel like I'm going to date myself. But when I was <laughs> when I was in college, I started working at Eckerd. And that's why I said date myself, because Eckerd is not even around any, any longer. So I worked at Eckerd. I worked it out with the guy, uh, 
the manager at Eckerd, it was not too far from my college and he worked around my, my school schedule. So I was working there and also I was selling Avon. I was a personal care provider for adults with autism. I'm going on different trips with them, taking them to different appointments. I feel like I just did a little bit of everything, like holiday retailing positions that were just hiring for the holiday season, all kinds of stuff. Wow. So I know for me, we had $61,000 in debt. We paid ours off. And about, I would say, eight months into our journey, I actually lost my job. And then like shortly after that, my wife got sick. She has lupus and she missed a month of work. And so we had just all these obstacles that kept popping up and and we persevered through those obstacles and we eventually became debt free. So I'm curious, you know, were there any big obstacles for you during your debt free journey? I think for me, it was the difficulty in saying no to myself and to others, mostly to others. And if someone needed help, I'm just like such a giving, just give. If if someone's having a birthday party, if someone's having a baby, whatever, I just want to be, I want to give everything. And so I had to learn to not do that. I had to understand that a little no today could equal a big yes tomorrow. And just kind of keeping that in front of my mind, just in a daily journey, even saying no to going out and hanging out and want to be cool and wanting to be a part of the in crowd and stuff like that. I mean, we're talking about early 20s that I started on this journey. So it's a lot of things going on during in college. There's a lot of things going on after college. and Everybody's hanging out and buying this and buying that and going in this place. And so those constantly having to say no and understanding that delayed gratification and all that, the importance of that for sure. So, you know, that's very interesting. I mean, because we all deal with peer pressure, societal pressure in many different ways. And so to hear you talk about that from a financial perspective, just feeling that pressure, whether other people place that on you or whether you assume that yourself, that's that's so powerful. And I'm, I'm so glad you shared that and people got to hear that. And so I'm curious, why didn't that stop you? Because that is something big to overcome, that, that hurdle of being able to say no if you're not that person initially. So like, how were you able to, to eventually overcome that mentality? I started to see the change and I knew that all of these side jobs that I was doing, I needed to eventually stop doing it. I knew that the, the more I said no and the more I saved that we cut back on how how long I would have to continue to do all this hustling and all of this running around and late nights and early mornings. And so those kinds of things began to be my motivation because I often saw a lot of people doing things and it looked fun, but they were like really stressed out. Like I'm spending this money. I'm at this restaurant, but I'm not sure if my card is even going to go through when we're done or I'm going on this trip, but none of my bills are going to be paid by the time I get back. So I'm like, that doesn't sound like fun to me. <laughs> like, how can you really enjoy yourself if you have this, you know, cloud over your head? And so that those two things definitely helped me. Just the motivation to say, like, I don't want to keep working all these jobs. Um, I want to get rest. I want to enjoy. But also to say that I want to really enjoy when it is time to do those things and not have that little dark cloud over my head. I love that answer. I often tell my coaching clients, it's it's hard to keep struggling and it's also hard to change and grow and evolve. And so you're going to have to pick a hard and you know, you're a living proof that making the right choice eventually pays off. So I want to go into that. Like, how did it feel when you finally paid that last debt off and you were debt free? Like, what did that feel like? It was crazy because, and, and this is something I actually do in my classes now. Um, I hold millionaires and training classes for teenagers and um, I always have them write dream checks. 
And it can be for any amount, but it's just something, a check that you would dream to actually cash or actually give to this particular person or organization. And I wrote out a dream check and the exact amount of how much my student loans were. And I just kind of like held on to this hope of like, I'm really going to pay this off. And I didn't get rid of it until I didn't get rid of the check until I actually paid it off. So it was like a twofold, like, wow, I'm able to like, I'm now pulling this old check that's kind of like wrinkled a little bit. (laughs) And now it's like everything is paid off, car, credit cards, everything. And for a long period of time, I didn't get mail. (laughs) I was like, I don't owe anyone. So I'm like, I'm not getting phone calls. I'm not getting mail. But I think my biggest moment was going back and telling that exact coworker, like, remember you said I'd never be debt free. I'm debt free. Like I literally do not owe a single person. So that was awesome. Wow. I bet. I bet. That was super cool. So at this point, you've gotten debt free. You've been saving for an emergency fund. What naturally comes next? So many people like they're, they feel so smothered by their debt. They can't even envision like what a next step would be when they're done with their student loans or anything like that. So for you, what was that next step in your money journey? For me after that, so I wanted to do all those goals before the age of 30 and and I did. So I decided I was just going to buy a nice house for myself as a treat to say I've been working really hard and I don't need to be renting anymore. (laughs) And so I bought a house that was huge. I'm glad I did it when I did. And I was so proud of myself to be able to do that um, at a young age, all by myself, without needing, you know, any assistance, any grants, any programs or anything like that. But also the options that come with it. Something I always speak about in my finance workshops is you want to spoil yourself with options. You don't want to go into a bank or go into this place and give people the opportunity to tell you no. You want to have options and financial freedom brings options, all kinds of options. You want to upgrade your hotel. You want to do this. You want to do that. It's just so many. It's like unlimited like options and it's a great feeling to not have to worry about how something is going to get paid or if I can afford the upgraded version or if I could that's just awesome it's just a much better peaceful feeling We'll be back with more from Rachel after this quick message from one of our sponsors. Did you know less than 5% of the people who buy life insurance get the right coverage? Life insurance is something we all need to think about, but it's also something we don't get excited to shop around for. And I get it. Figuring out how much you need, when to get it, and what you need it for has usually been difficult and complicated. That is, until everyday life transformed the way life insurance is purchased. Everyday Life is a new online insurance concierge created by fintech experts who got frustrated buying their insurance and took action. Here's how it works. Fill out their free, easy, anonymous questionnaire in under three minutes, and you'll get advice and pricing for your personalized coverage plan that will automatically adjust as your needs change. With more coverage now when your family needs it most and less down the road when you won't need as much, Everyday Life can save you money both now and in the future. Check out Everyday Life for your free personalized plan at elifelabs.com slash winning to wealth. That's elifelabs.com slash winning to wealth. So you have these goals, you hit these goals, and then you turn around, you buy yourself a house and you continue growing and you create all these amazing options for yourself, right? And so that's got to feel incredible, but 
you know, at some point you started to feel a tug to help other people with their finances. And so I want to switch gears and go into that. When did you start to feel that tug to write Amber's Magical Savings Box, your book? So I had been a personal finance consultant for a few years. Almost as soon as I hit all those goals, I started to go back into my original community that I grew up in, in the schools and the, the churches and the organizations there, just telling my story, reminding them who I am and letting them know that if I can do it, they can too. And it was something I just started doing on the side, helping people with their budgets, giving, encouraging people to stay on the path towards financial freedom. And a whole business grew out of it. And so I had done that for a few years. And a lot of the studies show that our relationship with money is formed by the age of seven. And I was shocked by that. And I knew a lot of parents would be shocked by that because I'm sitting here trying to think of who said what about money before I was seven years old. <laughs> but what what's, what's happening is that different conversations that our children are hearing, whether mom and dad are arguing on the way home from the mall or whether grandmom is talking about this on the phone while she's cooking Sunday dinner or whatever it is, our children are taking in that information and they are forming their idea and their relationship with money. And it's actually sealed in by the age of seven. So now that I'm coaching adults and I see how this is a long-term issue, they're still dealing with cycles and habits and things from things that they heard or experienced before the age of seven. So it was my intention to find a resource that I could give to my clients who have children so that we can kind of break that cycle. I went into a few bookstores and there was nothing in there teaching babies about financial freedom and money management. And so out of a little bit of frustration, I sat in Barnes and Noble's parking lot and I started writing Amber's Magical Savings Box, just scribbling it on a little envelope that was in my car that day. And uh, that's where it came from. Wow. I love that. I, you know, I actually read the book and in the book, Amber, she just isn't obsessed with saving money, right? Because it's called Amber. So I, you know, when I went into it, I was thinking she was going to be obsessed with saving and like her parents are going to give her an allowance and she was going to save it. But you went in a different direction. You made it to where Amber had this just the drive and determination to earn money herself through her work. And so why was that important for you to put that in the book versus just having her get an allowance and call it a day? Well, I wanted the children to understand the importance of creating a goal, creating a plan and sticking to it, solving a problem. Because when they get older, the world is going to reward them for solving problems. The world is not going to reward them just for living to see another Friday. And I think what happens is as parents, we we set them up. And we don't prepare them for how the real world is going to treat them. And that was a key. That was key for me. I wanted young people to understand that if you set a goal, if you work hard towards it, whatever the magical things you desire in life, you can have that. You just got to create a plan. And so that was important for me, for her to be a problem solver and to encourage other children to be problem solvers, even on their level. You know, mommy needs help with my younger brother. That's a problem. I can solve. So the understanding that, you know, you're never too small to, to help out. Absolutely. And so one of the things that was you know interesting about the book to me also is there were these little sections where the reader got to participate and you made it very interactive. So can you kind of talk through that? What are some of those things that you hope the kids are learning as they're reading and, and some of those challenges that you kind of put on them to, to work through? 
Yeah, I intentionally made the book interactive first because I hadn't seen anything like that when it comes to money for kids. So I wanted them to feel like they were actually on the journey with Amber. We're we're sitting the suspense of trying to figure out if she earns enough, if she saves enough, if she has enough. What is she going to do next? What other path is she going to choose now? What other options? It's just like, how is she going to do this? And it helps the kids to stay engaged. And I know for me, when I was younger, all activities that I had where I had to show my work were things that I remembered more if I had to work along with it. And so it was kind of like a twofold. I wanted to kind of seal it in for their memory, but I also wanted them to feel like they're with Amber. Like if she can do it, so can I. And so that was the importance of it being interactive. It's not just something that the kids read it in a bedtime story. If they, they write their financial dreams and goals in the back of the book. It's a savings journal. So it's something that they can actually hold on to for a while and grow with as their understanding of money grows, they can grow with the book and revisit those sections and even update their financial goals if they want. How can parents like myself, you know, how can we help our kids to set money goals? And not only that, but then also give them that guidance to stay on track towards those goals as well. Well, I would say that we should be mindful of the kind of conversations that we have around our children concerning money. We um, sometimes assume that things are going over their head, that if we're not talking to them directly, that they're not paying attention. Far from the truth. And so when, like I mentioned earlier, like heated conversations or heated even arguments about money around children can can have a really bad effect on them. And it can make them think that money is a bad thing, that it causes people to be angry. And it has, it forms this, just this bad bond with money that kind of carries them through life. And so that is one of the biggest tips and tools that I give for parents to kind of think, take a breather before you have these really heated conversations about money around children, especially during that time frame when they're like a sponge, they're literally soaking up everything. But normally when a child is in the store and they're asking for something, the answer is either yes or no. I encourage parents to ask questions. Well, how much is it? Help them to read the price tag. Help them to understand the importance of reading that price tag. What those numbers mean under that item that you're grabbing. Understanding the value of that. You know, well, are you willing to work for it? You know, because I need a little, daddy needs a little help breaking the leaves up or whatever the case may be. Maybe we can both earn the money together and we'll go half and we can come back next Friday and get it. I I think we should just kind of expand on. Don't just say yes. I'll just say no. Use it as a teachable moment to have that conversation, to continue to talk about money. Make sure they know what the difference between a quarter and a dime. Make sure they know how these things can all add up. And also give them something where they can see money adding up, like a clear jar or kids after the book, they make their own magical savings boxes so the kids can start to save for Christmas or whatever it is they have going on. And so they can see money adding up and it's like they feel accomplished, like they're doing something. So I would say those three things would be number number one, two, and three, top three. I want to touch back on something that you've brought up a couple of times. You've mentioned the heated arguments. Can you give the listeners just a couple examples of of some of those things that have that lasting effect on, on children's minds when it comes to money? So we have the regular arguments coming home from the mall mommy daddy's in the front and they're going back and forth and we just assume that the kids are in the back on their phones or on their tablets and they're not paying attention they are um there's also those conversations where mom comes in with the 
one too many pairs of shoes and daddy's upset about that and there's those conversations there's also little smart remarks that kids pick up on i had a young lady she is nine she told me that daddy always ruined things and he was she was referring to the fun or the joy that her mom feels when she's buying something and she thinks the daughter thinks that daddy is because of this money thing is ruining mommy's joy like daddy's always ruining things she told me that and I pulled him aside and told him like do you realize that this is what your daughter is getting out of the conversations that you're having you know what I mean with your wife and so there are things like that He'll say a little some smart revolving revolving money or her spending it. And he's thinking that it's going over his daughter's head. It's not. I mean, I, I love the fact that you mentioned that kids are pretty much set in their mentality towards money around the ages of seven. And it takes a lot of work. I know for me personally, I mean, like you said, I grew up in, in a single parent household. I observed a lot of struggles. I observed a lot of bad behaviors. I know for, for me, my mom used to always say when we would ask for stuff, I'm on a budget. And it was like budget became a bad word for me. And so when I got older and people were trying to teach me how to budget, I was like, I have no interest in learning how to do that because that just sucked all the fun out of my childhood. Because if I wanted a toy, it was, I'm on a budget. I can't buy that. I'm on a budget. I can't do this. So I'm I'm glad that you shared that. I want to go back to the book, though. Talk to me about kind of what your target age is for the readers of the book. The book is for ages three to 10. So it's it's on that easy reading level. But there are some words in there they may have to ask. It'll stretch the vocabulary just a little bit, but that's good. So, so yeah, three to 10 is the, is the targeted age group. Cool. Well then, you know, we'll wrap this up, but I want you to take a second and uh, tell the people where they can find the book, tell the people where they can find you and follow you as well. Amber's Magical Savings Box is an interactive children's book. It teaches kids the power of earning and saving money. It is an Amazon bestseller, but it is also available in Walmart and Barnes and Noble and anywhere else books are sold. Um, It includes the savings journal. It includes daily affirmations for the kids. And it also includes some questions asking them for their financial goals but you could also find me rachel hannibal r-a-c-h-a-e-l-h-a-n-i-b-l-e at rachelhannibal.com and you can also find me on instagram at pep talk underscore p-e-p-t-a-l-k-s underscore and i'm just rachel hannibal on facebook Awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story and these valuable tips for us parents that are looking to raise financially smart kids. I'm definitely going to link to Amber's Magical Savings Box in the show notes for those of you wanting to grab a copy for your kids. And I can say after reading this book myself, I believe it would make a great Christmas or a birthday gift for any kid that falls within that three to 10 year old age range. So to find that, you can go to winningtowealth.com slash episode eight. That is winningtowealth.com slash episode eight for the show notes and the link to this book. Also, I want to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Everyday Life. They provide a great life insurance product that you should definitely check out if you haven't yet. You can find them over at elifelabs.com slash winningtowealth. Now, here are a few brief takeaways from this episode with Rachel. First things first, it is totally okay to say no to other people. 
Rachel mentioned that this was a big struggle for her as she was navigating early adulthood and trying to pay off her debt and work these side hustles and all those things. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. Too often we get caught up in what we think other people are going to think about us if they knew we were working this side hustle or, you know, we didn't get a certain level of gift for their birthday or all these other things. If we don't wear a certain name brand of clothes and all that kind of stuff. But listen, it is okay to just be yourself, be who you are, like the things that you like, do the things that you want to do. And it's also okay to miss an event every once in a while as you get your financial life together. So I do want to point out that fact that it's okay to say no to other people, especially as you're doing things to better yourself and create a better future for you and your family. Second, we need to be having mindful conversations with our kids about money. I love how Rachel said to not just tell our kids yes or no when they're asking for things, but to start asking them questions. And and these questions are going to start to help them implement a plan to buy whatever it is that they're wanting. I think that's a great strategy, a great teaching tool. And it's definitely one that's going in my tool belt for when Allison gets a little older. Last but definitely not least, we also need to be mindful of how we talk about money in front of our kids. I mean, a lot of us do a decent job of shielding our kids from music and movies and and other things like that that we deem toxic. But then when we talk about money, we spew all of our negative energy and our negative mentality all over their impressionable minds. Now, these conversations with our spouses and other people oftentimes need to be had, but if our children have to be around, we need to be choosing our words a little more carefully when it comes to talking about money. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Wealthy Neighbor Show. If you have a money question you'd like answered, be sure to join our community of people aiming for financial wellness. You can find our community over at winningtowealth.com slash neighbors. That's winningtowealth.com slash neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and we'll talk soon.